welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. I want to ask you to step, step back into a moment in time. Step back into the early days of your relationship with God. It's kind of like several things coming together at one time tonight. If you can think back to your early days of accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you had these, like this song to me symbolizes so much about what happens when we first get saved. We discover the beauty of Jesus. First encounter that we have with God is a beautiful encounter. It's an encounter with love. It's an encounter with the one who is love. God is doesn't just have love. He is love. And he's everything that you'll ever need. He's everything we'll ever want. He's everything we could ever imagine. We just only catch a glimpse of him in this world because of the human flesh, the physical limitations of of seeing the glory of God. When Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. God showed him just as he said, I can't show you myself. It would kill you. you just show him just a little glimpse of his the backside. Right. God showed Moses his just his a piece aside of him, a, a, a glimpse of him. And it was enough to change Moses life forever it was enough to cause Moses to have so much presence on his on his body that they had to put a they had to cover his face because of the glory that came out of his face, the shining glory of God that was upon him from just catching a glimpse of of God's beauty and God's glory and God's presence his goodness. And um, if you can kind of think of that moment, remember that moment that you got saved and then connect that to the moment that you first found hope in a church. Now, forget about the moments that you forget for a moment, the moments that you found that the church let you down, that the body of Christ or the the institution of the church failed you. I'm talking about when you first encountered the real church. I don't mean, oh, yeah, I didn't like that last church I was in. I like the new one that I'm at now, though. I don't mean that. I mean, the church is God's body in the earth. It's God's people in the earth. It's not just a location, but it's a people everywhere collectively together and gathering in the temple and from house to house. But there was a moment where I remember when I first got saved at a Bible study and then the first church that I attended where I heard about the goodness of God and I heard about the Holy Spirit and I followed this old guy back to the back of the auditorium after the church service was over. They met in a the church, the first church that I ever attended when I was 17 and after I just gotten saved. Uh, was they met in a banquet hall and in the back of the banquet hall, they had a little 
area where they, I guess, dedicated to pray for people. So I went up to the front to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, had hair down to my, well, like these guys, you know, hair down to my backside. And um, and I remember going in and this man telling me about the Holy Spirit. And I don't even remember everything that he said about the Holy Spirit, but I remember it was good and felt good and it felt right. And that was a moment in a church that I remember. So I remember the Bible study where I got saved. Can you remember like let's have an interactive moment together as we're worshiping and as we're talking? I want you to remember that first moment that you remember of your salvation, that place where you were, that that moment in time or that season in time. I don't know what day it was. I can't remember what what the date was that I got saved. If somebody said, was it a Monday? Was it a Tuesday? It was it was the, it was a Sunday because it was the son of God. It was the son. Jesus had come into my life. That's all I know is the Sunday S.O.N. And can you remember that moment in your life? I want you to see a bunch of moments are going to connect together for us tonight. Today, whenever you're watching. So the moment of your salvation, I want you to think about that. Then secondly, I want you to think about the moment that you had an encounter in a church where you felt the power of God, experienced love or experienced people welcoming you or experienced a healing. Maybe you 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 first remember a church that was preaching the Bible and you realize, wow, this this is not the rules and and the legalism of the religion I grew up in. This is life and real and love and healing and peace. Can you think about that moment, a moment in a church? And then can you think about the third moment that I want you to think about? So I want you to think about and remember the moment you accepted Jesus. And I want you to remember, secondly, the moment you felt God's power in a church. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And then I want you to think about the moment that you were in when we first gathered, when we first learned about covid and the pandemic started and everything was shut down. And yet churches opened up wider during covid than they had ever opened up. We opened up wider. We opened up broader. We welcomed more people during covid than we had ever welcomed before because we realized the power of God is not limited to four walls in a building and getting people into a a place, but getting your soul to a place is what God's interested in, getting our soul to that place and getting our soul healthy and getting our our priorities reorganized and reprioritized, getting our relationship with Jesus to be what we are revived by, that we don't need uh, an energy drink to revive us, but we have a savior that revives us. I want you to think about those moments like to me it was a very precious moment over a little over a year ago when we all came together. And I feel like we need to recapture some of those moments in our lives. Every time we take communion, when we take communion, you know what? It, what's actually happening is we're recapturing the moment that Jesus gave himself to us, we're recapturing 
the essence of God's presence, the sacrament of the Eucharist, the presence of God in the bread, the presence of Jesus in the wine, the presence of Jesus in the bread, the body and blood of Jesus. We're re enacting the moment that he embraced us and shed his blood for us and welcomed us home. We're, we're re enacting that moment. We're remembering, he said, as often as you do this, remember me as often as you drink this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. And I'm I don't have a cup, so we're not necessarily going to take communion tonight, but I'm just using it as a moment for you to remember, realize that in communion, in the beautiful Eucharist, Jesus tells us to remember something. But isn't it interesting that he never tells us when we take communion to remember our sin? He never tells us to remember our. Our pain, he never tells us to remember our mistakes, he never tells us to remember somebody else's mistakes, He never tells us to remember our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our failures, our falls, our our falters. He tells us to remember him. He said, when you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me, not in remembrance of your sin, not in remembrance of your mistakes, not in remembrance of your humanity, not in remembrance of your failures. But in remembrance of him, we're we're to remember one thing during communion, and that's Jesus. And I believe that this is a moment where we're supposed to remember one thing. We're supposed to remember Jesus. What what was that one moment that you made him your savior, that you received him as your savior and Lord? That moment is all about him loving you. That moment you felt his touch in a church for the first time. What was that? It was to remember that was him touching you. That was him operating through the body of Christ to reach out to you, to make a place for you. I think in one of the songs we were singing tonight, was talking about that there's a place for you. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? You belong. You fit into the body of Christ. I fit into the body of Christ. I don't fit in in a lot of social environments. I don't fit in and I don't feel like I fit into a lot of social moments and social clubs and social gatherings. But I do know how I fit into the church. I fit into the body of Christ. And I really want you to get a hold of this. So there's a moment of you accepting Jesus and then there's a moment of you finding that healing place in church, that safe place, that place where you belong. Maybe you're saying right now, I still haven't found that safe place. Well, this can be your safe place for now. This can be your church. This can be your spiritual family. This can be your home. Welcome home. And then there was this moment where everything seemed to stop in our world. It was just a different moment from any other time. Everything stopped, everything closed, everything shut down. And what was open? God's arms. What was open? The family of God. What was open? The church from house to house, the church in the temple, the church right where you are. And there is a. This is a moment 
for us to remember the things that God has been speaking to us, to remember the things that God's been doing in our our lives, the things that God has been doing in the church, the things that God's been doing in your life. Such a odd moment in one way. The we had we experienced another shooting in one of our cities in America. We experienced another what could be characterized as a racial situation, a racial tension again. Why? Because we're going to keep defaulting as a human we're in hum- as humanity. We're going to keep defaulting to what we were until we come to a place where we really are the body of Christ and we're no longer trying to make reasons and excuses for why the world is the way that it is. But we as the church are bringing a different world and a different taste and different flavor to this world than what they're used to. I'm sorry, but the church, in my opinion, has been too judgmental. The body of Christ has been like Pharisees judging people, ostracizing people, um, making people feel shame for the very behaviors that everybody else has been guilty of either in action or in thought. Everybody's guilty of the same things. That's why the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And boy, if you could if you could pause for a moment and if we could pray and ask God to restore to us and to revive for us those three moments, that first moment that you got saved, that second moment that you encountered some form of blessing, healing, some form of breakthrough in a church experience. And that moment when you first turned on your phone or your computer or YouTube or wherever you gathered for the first time in a online only church experience, an online only gathering. Remember that moment? There's something special about it. I'm not wanting us to go back and repeat history. But if we don't remember the moments that matter most, we will repeat the wrong history. That's why I want you to remember. That's why I've been saying for weeks and months, we we've been given an opportunity. We've been given a gift. I don't know if you're going to get tired of me saying that, but I don't care who thinks, oh, we're back to normal. There is no back to normal for me. There is no back to normal for you. There's only going forward for me. There's only going forward for you. There's not going backwards. We're going forwards. We don't want to be the church that we used to be. I don't want to be the pastor I used to be. I don't want to be the human that I used to be. I want to be a better version of the glory of God and the goodness of God and the love of God coming through my life. I want to be a person that is less judgmental. I'd like to say that I would love to be a person who's not judgmental, but that's a little too aspiring for me right now. Just less judgmental is what I'm after for a moment. You know what I'm saying? Like we've got to we've got to be the church like I'm 
all these moments they were worshiping. And as we were singing, mercy, falling, falling, mercy, 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 falling. I feel like the body of Christ has failed to show people what mercy is. We're getting good at showing people grace, but we're not so good with mercy. But if you look at Hebrews, chapter four, verse 15, it says we don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest. The King James says that's not touched with the feelings, with our feelings, the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He's the one that's without sin. We've been tempted and our temptation came with sin, like we gave into it. He never did. That's why he's our high priest. And what does a high priest do? A high priest goes to God on your behalf. Jesus has gone to God on your behalf. A high priest blesses the people. Jesus blesses us. A high priest washes away our past. Jesus washes away our past. I remember going to confession when I was a kid, Catholic kid. I didn't really know what it was. I just looked around and people were kids were where we were supposed to go to the confession that morning and catechism. And we're just supposed to tell the priest the sins that we've committed. And I couldn't even I, I I didn't really understand, like, what have I done wrong? Like just being human. But I heard some of the things the other kids were saying, like I stole some pencils from somebody and somebody else said I was mean to one of the other students. And so I just I just said whatever they we're turning to each other. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? We're standing in this line. We're all going to go to confession one at a time. What are you going to say to the priest? What are you going to confess? I had to make stuff up, not because I was sinless, but because I really didn't have a concept of looking at life like that until religion taught me to look at life like that. Jesus doesn't want us to look at our lives like, okay, what sins have we done? We've got to make sure we got to make sure we apologize for everything we've ever done wrong and always aware of everything we've done wrong and always be sorry, always be sorry. That's not why we have a high priest. We have a high priest so that we can go boldly to the throne of his grace. Look at what it says in Hebrews 4, 15. It leads up to the high priest that we have. He's touched by our infirmities, touched by our weaknesses, affected by our. Our sins in all things tempted as we are so he can relate to us. Yet without sin, and since he, our high priest, is without, is without sin, look at what it says we should do, we should and can do. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved, we are in a time of need right now. Some of you are suffering. Some of us are suffering from sickness. Some of us are suffering from anxiety. Some of us are suffering from 
trauma from our lives, trauma from something that happened in our life, in our past. Some of us are suffering from post traumatic stress disorder. Some of us are suffering from depression. Some of us are suffering from joblessness or difficulty paying our bills. Some of us are suffering from feeling the dis the difference, the distance from where we are in life and where we wish we were in life. Sometimes that creates suffering, just that gap between where we are and where we wish we were. But I but I I want you to feel this and hear this and take advantage of this moment. The throne of grace can be approached boldly, not coming boldly to make our confession of sins, but coming boldly to obtain mercy, coming boldly to find grace. When can we do this? Look at what it says. In time of need, when can we come to the boldly to the throne of grace? In time of need, what can we find there? Mercy and grace. What can we obtain their mercy? What can we find their grace? To help in time of need. For notice what he says, every high priest and goes on to say in Hebrews five, one for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifice for sins. But he goes on to say. For every high priest in verse two, he goes on to say, who can have compassion on the ignorant? God has compassion on us and on them that are out of the way for he himself is. Has compassion regarding our infirmity. And by reason, as for the people, he offered himself for sins. He didn't offer an animal sacrifice. He offered himself for sins. Boy, I wish I wish the church could press restart on defining church in America and in the world. I wish we could press restart today. On how the on the picture that we paint of God. You know, a beautiful painting, as we've talked about in the past, a beautiful painting by a famous artist. Is. Worth millions, millions of dollars. And what's the worst thing that somebody can do to a work of art, vandalize it, break it, paint over it, spray can over it, write graffiti on it to distort the beauty, to wreck the image in your mind of what you're looking at. Well, that's what the devil does. That's what religion does. The devil really sits back kind of like, oh, I don't need to work very hard because the religious leaders are doing a good enough job for me. By condemning people, judging people, kicking people out, letting people, you know, making people an example of that's that's not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a place that 
brings people to the beautiful gate. The church of Jesus is the beautiful church. The church of Jesus is the beautiful gate in Acts chapter three that Peter and John are walking up to the to the temple to for the hour of prayer in Acts chapter three and a lame man who's been sitting at the beautiful gate for 38 years or so. He's been sitting there for almost four decades. And there and he begs of them to give money. And Peter looks at this man and Peter and John, by the way. Was there so much to say about Peter and John? We've talked a lot about Peter in, on Wednesdays in the last few weeks and learning so many leadership lessons from him. We've talked about John because he's the disciple of love. He's the disciple of love. He's the one that leaned into Jesus bosom and put his head on Jesus bosom. Peter and John are the ones representing the church. Sadly, Thomas and Judas are the ones that have represented the body of Christ lately in the in around the world and for decades and for years we've been represented. Aren't you glad that this guy that was lame didn't meet up with Thomas and Judas like Judas betrays the Lord. Thomas is like, I can't I don't believe anything until I see it. Imagine them running into those two characters. Uh, Thank God it was Peter and John. Thank God the church is supposed to be Peter and John. The church is supposed to be like Peter and John, the God of restoration who restores Peter and makes him a powerful man and the God of love who wants you to know how loved he is. These two guys, the apostle of leadership, Peter, the apostle of second chances, Peter, the apostle of third chances, Peter and the apostle of love, John. They are the ones that are at the beautiful gate. They're the ones that truly make this a beautiful gate. They're the ones that made this a beautiful moment. They're the ones that could do something about this man's situation and his condition. Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John. There is no leadership without love. There is no love without leadership. Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold. I don't. That's not what I've come to to give you. I've come to give you what I do have. I don't come to give you what I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And seizing him by the right hand. You see, we have as the church have been seizing people by the left hand. The right hand represents authority. The right hand represents fellowship. The right hand represents love. Remember when we used to shake hands? Anybody remember that? You remember shaking hands? Nobody usually shakes hands with your left hand. Now, to my beloved left handers. I'm one of you, so there's nothing bad about being left handed other than the fact that I'm bad sometimes and you're bad sometimes, but we're left handed. We're okay. It's nothing. It's not. It's not better to be right handed, but the right hand symbolizes something in the Bible. See what? Why wouldn't he just say seizing him by his hand, seizing him by one of his hands? I could be offended. Why didn't he seize him with his left hand? 
as a left handed person, I can take offense at this verse, seizing him by the right hand. That's a little prejudice against left handers. Come on. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But yet the right hand represents the right hand of fellowship. We see that in the Bible, the right hand of partnership, the right hand of love, the right hand of acceptance, the right hand of authority and power. We've been seizing people with the wrong hand. We've been seizing people, pushing people. You know, we've been keeping people down, keep, you know, pushing people away, telling people that they that they they aren't enough. They aren't good enough. They aren't clean enough. They aren't holy enough. They aren't this enough, that enough. We're constantly slapping people with our left hand rather than seizing people with our right hand and bringing strength and bringing healing, raising them up. He raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And the man leapt he with a leap. He stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Man, people have been walking to church with their head held low. People people sometimes people have walked into church with their head held high, but walked out of church with their head hanging because of the guilt and the shame and the the self-righteousness that's 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 constantly coming forth. We got people, we got preachers sitting on stages telling us whether they think some other preacher made it to heaven. The guy's dead. And they're like, I wonder if he really made it to heaven. You know, some of the sins in his life, you know, some of the sins that we found out about that guy. I wonder about the sins we we could find out about you. I wonder about the sins that we could find out about me. Somebody (laughs) said something to me the other day and I I just pulled out my line. I got it memorized because this is what I say when people, you know, criticize me nowadays. Somebody said something really rude and they sent it. They sent an email to somebody and they thought they were sending it to the other person about me, but they sent it to me. This happened like less than a week ago. Ever had that happen? Like you better check your emails before you send anything out. Make sure you're sending it. So this person sends something, sends an email to somebody else about me kind of saying some negative things. And it really it was something negative, but it really wasn't that bad. So I emailed this person back. I said, I'm sure that you meant this for the other person, but somehow God has a way of (laughs) ordering our steps. And it came to me and I just want to assure you, I said to this literally said to this person, I just want to assure you that what you said about me is so small in comparison to the things I know worse about myself. And it just took the it just took the sting away, took the shame away. I didn't tell the guy, how dare you think that about me? I was like, you know what? That's not so bad in contrast to what I know about myself. That's how we should be. We should be like self-deprecating. We should be humble people. We should. Our goal is not holiness. Jesus is our holiness. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is our sanctification. He has been made unto us. First Corinthians 131 says he is. Jesus has been made unto us wisdom from God, sanctification, redemption, righteousness. He's my righteousness. He's my holiness. He's my he's my wisdom.
So instead, we have preachers that are making us feel shame. You know, when you. The kingdom of God. We'll get back to Peter and John and the beautiful gate. But. The kingdom of God, the Bible says, is like a man. The kingdom of God is like a man that plants seed in the soil and it grows into the biggest tree over time. But what we have in the world today, we have a lot of preachers that are trying to plant trees in our heart rather than planting seeds in our heart. And what I mean by that is people are preaching to us in a way where we're expected to have the tree fully grown overnight. And God doesn't plant trees in our soil, in the soil of our heart. He plants seeds in the soil of our heart. He doesn't take a tree and stuff it. OK, you're going to be holy. OK, you're going to be obedient now. You're going to there's going to be a tree of obedience. There's going to be a tree of love. You're going to start behaving right. God's not like that. It took God thousands of years to give us the Bible. If God is that patient to take thousands of years to give you the Bible, he's going to be a little patient towards you living out the Bible. If it took thousands of years for the for the Bible to even be given to us, you think God's expecting you to be Mr. Clean overnight? You expect you think God's expecting you to be Mother Teresa overnight? I didn't I don't know what Mother Teresa was like when she was 12 or 13 or 14. We only know her when she's like old and frail and serving in Calcutta, all the all the orphans and the broken lives. And what a beautiful picture of a of a woman, beautiful picture of a, a saint. Right. But we don't know what went on in her life before that. We don't know what she had to struggle with. We don't know what got her to that point. What was she before she was Mother Teresa? Maybe she was, you know, Mother Superior. Maybe she was, you know, Mother May I. Maybe she was Sister, you know, uh, Teresa. Right? Like we just know her in the final stage of her life. We don't know what she what to what it took to get there. Nobody's born like that, sadly. We're born like in sin and we all need to be born again. Well, I'm saying all of this to make a point that I cannot let you and me go back to what we once were and try to recapture what the church was before covid, because I believe the church should be better now. Sadly, I've watched and seen the church behave and many Christians keep behaving the same way. Keep telling people that one sin is going to send them to hell. One thing they do wrong before they die, if they get hit by if they have have unconfessed sin by the time they a train hits them, if, if they get hit by a train on the way home and they had unconfessed sin in their life before they got hit by that train, chances are they're in hell. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That kind of thinking, that kind of fragile salvation. Our salvation is not fragile. It's built upon 
a rock. It's built upon Jesus blood. There's nothing fragile about Jesus blood. There's nothing fragile about the risen Savior. There's nothing fragile about a resurrected King. There's nothing fragile about the cross. There's nothing fragile about your your salvation. There's nothing fragile about anything God gives you. Everything that is fragile in your life is something that God didn't give you. Whatever is fragile in your life is because God hasn't touched it. God hasn't blessed it. God hasn't been involved in it. God hasn't got his hands on it yet. Everything that you have that's a gift from heaven is secure forever. The Bible says in Romans 11:29 that God's gifts and God's callings are irrevocable. They're without repentance. He will never give you a gift and then take it back. He will never take back a gift that he gives you. It's irrevocable. You cannot God will never take it back. He'll never recall it. He'll never say, you know what? You didn't really deserve it. So I'm taking you never deserved it to begin with. You don't grow into deserving salvation. We never deserve to be treated that well. All the thief on the cross wanted. Remember, he said, Lord, he said, Jesus, he didn't even call him Lord. So we don't even know if he's saved since he didn't say Jesus is Lord. I'm I'm kidding. We get so hung up on words. How many like what if somebody's dumb, deaf, can't speak? Are they unable to be saved because they can't confess with their mouth? Jesus is Lord, because that's just one point of salvation. That's one way into salvation. There's also John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's another way. It's not you got to make sure you do Romans 10, 9 and John 3 and first Peter 6 and Exodus 33, 12 and, you know, the numbers and Leviticus and all that. No. The gospel is so simple, that's why we get it so messed up sometimes, because we think things should be complicated. And they really don't need to be. I'm asking you to be a part of the simple simplicity of devotion to Jesus. I'm asking you to be a part of reprioritizing our lives around trusting God. I'm asking you to be a part of the revival of simplicity, the simple relationship with our Savior and introducing him to others. I'm asking you to reimagine with me what church can be. Stop being political. Let's be lovable. Because love never fails. So stop with the divisions to stop with the let's be the church. Let's be love. Let's be the good. Reprioritize. Our lives around trusting God, simplify revive the simplicity of our, my devotion to Jesus because he's devoted to me. Somebody said, I, I just don't know. Do I, I, I I'm trying to love God. Loving God is not a loving. God is not a, a hard thing to do. If you catch a glimpse of him, he's impossible not to love. If you catch a glimpse of him, if you're talking about a religious God, that God is hard to love and impossible to love. But if you're talking about our beautiful savior, our most beautiful, 
friend. He's impossible not to love. And guess what? It's impossible for him not to love you. It's impossible. Because he loves you because he is love. I'm asking you to be a part of history, to be a part of something that's never been before the church. After the pandemic, the church that is more compassionate, the church that is less judgmental and not judgmental, the church that is full of healing power, the church that is full of common sense, the church that is full of faith that never fails. The church is full of people that fail. But we have a faith that never fails because our faith isn't in our faith. It's in his faithfulness. Well, it's about that time to pull all these thoughts together and will you be a part of three things? Reprioritize our lives around trusting God. Revive the simplicity of the gospel and the simple devotion to Jesus Christ and to one another. And would you be a part of reimagining what the church can be, a place where people that are full of fear come and their fears vanish, a people that come sick and healing comes, a people that come not knowing where they belong and they find their place in a family, people that come. With confusion and questions who, if they don't find an answer immediately, they'll find the empathy to build a bridge of trust so that we can hang in there together long enough until God does give us the answer and until we do get what we are looking for. I want you to be a part of a new. Improved. Body of Christ. Can't you change your body through your diet, through exercise, through surgery like it's all good. No shame, right? We can change our physical body. We can change our emotional condition. So can't we change the church? Can't we change the body of Christ and make it better? Can't we get the body of Christ fasting from wrong thinking and eating the right spiritual food? And can't we get the body of Christ to be more compassionate to people like we can like, let's get our body where it's truly glorious where it's truly what it's meant to be. Let's become the hem of his garment. Let's be the thread of love in the tassel of Jesus garment that that woman said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I want people to say, if I just turn on the webcast, if I just turn on Life Changers online, if I just go to one of the meetings, if I just come to one of the Sundays, if I just watch one of the services, if I just connect with somebody from the Global Connect team, 
If I just touch somebody, I'm going to be healed. If I just get connected to that church, I'm going to be a better lover. I'm going to be a better giver. I'm going to be a better human. I'm going to be a better servant. I'm going to be a better person at forgiving and loving and giving and blessing and being somebody that people want to be around. That's what the church is supposed to be, not an exclusive club that you have to have a certain net worth and you have to have a certain kind of look to come, like come with your look, come however you look, come. Don't care what you wear, just wear something. It doesn't matter to me what it is. Just wear something when we open. Come and and come. And let the church become. A better force in this earth. Than what we've been. Let's be the place that covers a multitude of sins. I don't mean like we're covering up a secret, like we're covering up a conspiracy. I'm talking about we cover one another. It's called lover cover. We're lovers and we're covers. <laughs> Just making stuff up as we go along here today. But can you like see this as more than just a Wednesday night moment, Bible study event? Could you see this as a moment in time that that moment that you first got saved, connected to that moment that you experienced church in a healthy way to that moment that you first connected online because there was nothing else to connect to. And if we put those moments together, we can be a people that have reprioritized our lives around trusting God and strip away the complicated. We can be the church that revives the simplicity of the gospel. We can be the church that reimagines church a place of authority, a place, not a place of authority where we're talking about the authority of people's rank. I'm talking about the church that has the authority to heal the sick and the authority to deliver the oppressed and the authority to communicate with the world's leaders and influence the world through the power and the authority of the body of Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church, the church, the body of Christ that I'm describing. You know what? Let we've gone. We've all gone through some fires. Let the ropes that have bound us. Be burned by the fires that are around us. Let the ropes. That have bound us. You know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Abednego go into the fiery furnace. With ropes around their hands and their feet to be burned. Because they didn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And what happened? Their ropes were burned. And they were set free and not a hair on their head. Was singed. They had no smoke, no smell of smoke upon their bodies. That's the church that we're supposed to be. That. Let the. The ropes that have bound you. Burn away because of the love that is around you. The family that is around you, the church. 
we've been bound by wrong priorities, wrong theologies, shaming people, making people like I think religion makes people anxious because did I do enough? Am I enough pleasing to God enough? Am I oh, have I done enough? Have I read enough? Have I prayed enough? That's that's that'll make that'll drive anybody crazy. I've heard about religious leaders lately, authors and Christian artists and people, preachers even that are have renounced their Christianity lately. So they're not going to be Christians anymore. I believe they're renouncing what they don't realize is they're renouncing the religion that their form of Christianity may have produced. The external looks, the appearance of religion without the power. That's what I think they're announcing. They just don't know it. They don't realize that they've been in a church, maybe that they've been surrounded by people that have been shaming them and condemning them and they feel like they can't do enough to please God. They never are holy enough, never godly enough. They got a lot of secrets in their life that if anybody knew and look, we all have one or two or three. It's OK. God's not out to get your secret. He's not sending the scripture. Whatever's hidden is going to be revealed. If you got hidden sin in your life, it's going to be. That's not what the Bible's even talking about. Whatever's hidden be revealed is talking about the good things that are hidden. They're going to be revealed. The things that have been lost and hidden, if you'll pray that. Those things that have been lost are going to be revealed. I can't tell you how many times Grace told me, you know what? I've been standing on that. I've lost such and such, lost this, lost that. But I'm standing on that verse that says everything that's hidden will be revealed. And sure enough, then she finds it. Wish she could do that with the bank account. <laughs> After shopping, whatever. Hey, everyone, we hope you enjoyed that powerful message. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast for more amazing messages like what you just heard. You can also search for Gregory Dickow on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter for tons of great content throughout the week.